Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. We have a war going on, and I sent an email to our church uh, email list yesterday, just kind of sharing what's going on over there. And uh, the uh, Cliff Notes version is that Russia is on the upswing and the U.S. is on the downswing. And both of those things need to take place to set the table for the Ezekiel 38-39 war where America is not on the scene in the midst of this great world conflict. Why is that? Okay? And we can see American power start to decline, which is sad for us to say as Americans. We don't like that. But you can see Russia's on the upswing. Russia is the leader of that uh, Gog-Magog coalition that will be forming. So... Uh, God is at at work. He is uh, all over in our world today. The world is not falling apart. It is falling into place. Praise God. Okay. So uh, hang on to your faith in Jesus. We're talking about foundations today. I am uh, thoroughly enjoying preparing the messages in the book of Genesis. It's an awesome, awesome book. And today we're looking at the foundation of marriage. Okay. God created marriage. Isn't God a good God to create marriage? Wow. I think it was one of his finest works. Next week, we're going to be talking about sexuality. And that too, dangerous gift that God gave to man. But he did it because the positives outweigh all of the damage that we have seen. We've seen a lot of damage. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that, a biblical view of sexuality next Sunday. Okay, And we will have a children's church during the first service here. Okay, So if it's something that uh, you would prefer your uh, children not be in that uh, sermon time, uh, they can be excused for that. Other parents love to use this as a teaching time and have their children listen to this and then we converse afterwards and so forth. Okay, so that's uh, where we're going here. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity we have today to look at this beautiful institution of marriage. Oh, what a good God you are. Father, I pray that you would guide us today. Speak to us in your precious name. Amen. Daddy, let me show you my picture. That's what five-year-old Sarah Rosberg asked her dad, the renowned marriage counselor Gary Rosberg, tells a story in his book, Divorce Proof Your Marriage. At the time, little Sarah approached him. Gary was neck deep in completing his doctoral dissertation in counseling. And so he said, Sarah, daddy's busy. Come back in a little while, honey. Obediently, Sarah leaves. Ten minutes later, she's back. Daddy, let me show you my picture. 
Sarah, I said to come back later. This is very important. Three minutes later, Sarah storms back in the living room, gets three inches from Gary's nose, and sounds off. Do you want to see it, Dad, or not? (laughs) And Gary wasn't about to budge. He said, no, I don't. And as she starts walking away, regrets immediately fill his mind. He can see her little heart has been broken. Sarah, come back here a minute. I want to see your picture. She climbs up in his lap and she's describing the picture to him. Across the top, she prints, our family best. Here's mommy, she explains. It was a stick figure with long yellow curly hair. Here's me standing beside mommy with a smiley face. Here's Katie, that's their dog. Apologies to all the Katies out there. (laughs) And here's Missy, (laughs) her little sister, another stick figure who is laying down. I love your picture, Sarah. I'm going to hang it up on the dining room wall. But I just have one question. Where's daddy? Oh, daddy, you're at the library. (laughs) You're at the library, daddy. And that's where Gary had holed up for umpteen hours working on his doctoral degree. Oh, boy. One simple picture And Sarah had nailed him to the wall, hadn't she? In his pursuit of helping others with their marriage and their families, he was in danger of losing his own. A few months later, Gary Rosberg becomes Dr. Gary Rosberg. But the celebration was hollow. His wife said to him, you haven't been here. We don't know who you are. And that night, Gary vowed to his wife and he said, I want to come home. I want to come home. And that's exactly what he did. How about you? Have you ever found yourself with misplaced priorities? And then it dawns on you, how in the world did I get here? And even more important, how do I get back to where I should be? Now, it is true that marriage tends to bring happiness. The polls have shown that. National Opinion Research Center in Chicago surveyed 35,000 Americans over a 30-year period. 40% of married people said they are very happy, compared to 24% of singles. And this happiness advantage is true regardless of age or income or gender. But it is also true that a British study of 10,000 adults found that there is a happiness drop-off that occurs after a few years of marriage. But get this, it doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to happen. By devoting yourself to the original design of marriage as God intended it, you can rekindle the joy all over again. Today we're going to look at three key foundations that will prepare you for a healthy marriage. These three foundations 
can and should be pursued in a serious dating relationship. And then they should be pursued throughout the engagement. Now the fourth foundation is the sexual union, which God intended us to pursue after marriage. Sex ideally should be the cement that holds together an already healthy relationship. That's the way God intended it. We're going to look at what God teaches about sex next Sunday. So today, we're looking at three key foundations that will prepare you for marriage. And the first is the social bond. Becoming best friends. Genesis 2.18, the Lord says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Friends, it is not good for man to be alone. God created us as social beings like himself. From eternity past, you see, our triune God existed in the context of a community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said this, John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. He's talking about us. See, he's a social being. He wants us with him. I want them to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the world was created, the father and son lived in this community of love. It's a relational being. Jesus is a relational being, and we are relational beings. This is so powerfully illustrated in the book, Faith of My Fathers, and it was later made into a movie, the story of John McCain's experience as a POW during the Vietnam War. They had them in solitary confinement. They had them... Uh, imprisoned alone. But John McCain discovered by putting his tin cup against the wall of his prison cell, he could converse with the American prisoner in the next cell. And it was just enough to keep him going and to maintain his sanity. Now, unfortunately, when McCain was released in 1973, he was overjoyed at first to be reunited with his wife, Carol. And yet, over the next few years, the couple drifted apart, divorced in 1980. Carol was devastated. She described the divorce as the hardest thing I have ever been through. She said, I lost my husband and my best friend. The McCains have lots of company. 
Today, 42% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages, 73% of third marriages. So how do we prevent that from happening? The key is to never stop being best friends. Best friends. You see, God made Adam a suitable helper. The Hebrew word is kenigdo. Someone who is like me, a mirror image of me, my opposite, who fits perfectly. And that's the way that I felt about my wife when I first fell in love with her during Christmas break of 1980. We went out the first night of the Christmas break and then proceeded to keep going out every single day for two weeks. And when we said our goodbyes before returning to school, I cried all the way back to Chicago where I was going to school. I would not see her for six weeks. And she was at Northwestern College in Roseville, surrounded by hundreds of good-looking young guys. Oh. <gasps> And there I was, 400 miles away. Nothing but a weekly phone call to keep in touch. There was no texting and emailing and cell phones and all that stuff. But you know what? I discovered something. You see, one of the best pieces of marriage advice I ever received was a speaker who said, don't marry someone you can live with. Marry someone you can't live without. And I discovered that. That was me. <laughs> when I fell, man, I fell hook, line, and sinker. And some of you know exactly what that is like. And yet a few years later, four little girls at home, a growing church family to pastor, Sue and I had to fight for that time alone just to simply talk. We lived for date night. When we'd get a babysitter, go out for dinner, movie, sporting event. You see, marriage counselor Willard Harley in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, says the average couple needs 15 hours a week together, just the two of them, doing things they enjoy. And then another 15 hours a week, time with your kids. So important. You know, that's why I often said when the kids were home, my kids and wife, they were my hobby. I didn't have other hobbies. I remember when the kids were in school, we would often do high-low around the supper table. What was your high point of the day? And what was your low point? And it always engendered a wonderful season of conversation. And even now, Sue and I will often do this as we wrap up the day. What's your high for the day? What's your low for the day? Romans chapter 12 is a recipe for all friendships. But you know what? Read Romans 12, 9 to 21. It is especially important to practice this with your best friends. And most important of all, to practice it with your spouse. 
Now let me share you some of the highlights of Romans 12, starting with verse 10. Now I want to encourage you to apply this in the context of marriage, or your future marriage, or a close friendship if you're not married. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted. It says, honor one another above yourselves. It says, be joyful in hope. Who wants to hang out with a grump? Huh? Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How can we do that in the context of marriage? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's, sweetheart, have you had a rough day? Let's pray about that. Let's come to the Lord. How can I encourage you? It continues, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I can promise you on the authority of God's word, you live out these verses in your relationships and especially your marriage, you're going to have a very healthy marriage. You really are. And you're going to be a very happy person. After all, the Bible says, Happy are those who hunger and thirst for what is right in God's eyes. The first foundation for a good marriage, the social bond, becoming and staying best friends. Second foundation for a good marriage is the spiritual bond. It is becoming soulmates. Verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The way in which God made woman is... It is one of the most beautiful and fascinating scenes in all of Scripture. God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep. In a sense, Adam died to get a bride. He died to get a bride. And of course, that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross, isn't it? Jesus died to get a bride. John 19.34 tells us blood and water burst out of his side. At the same time, Jesus is entering the deep sleep of death. And out of his death came life to the bride of Christ. 
We are the bride of Christ that was given life from the flesh and blood of our Lord whose side was pierced and opened for us. Therefore, we are united with our Lord in the most intimate of ways. In a sense, we're soulmates. One in spirit, united with our Lord. Do you see how the creation of woman foreshadows the cross? Adam is put into a deep sleep, and the bride of Adam is given life. From the very flesh and blood of Adam, whose side was pierced and opened, and out of this deep sleep came the precious gift of life, new life. I find it interesting. The Hebrew word for rib is tesla, which is found 35 times in the Old Testament. At least 20 times it is translated as side. Do you see the parallel there? Out of Adam's side, God fashioned a bride that was given new life. Out of Jesus' side, God fashioned a bride. All of us were given new life. God intended the husband and wife to be soulmates. Unlike any other human relationship, the husband, he takes his cues from Christ, who led by serving and sacrificing for his bride. You see, that's what godly leadership is all about. It's not about ruling and dictating and controlling. It's about serving and sacrificing and dying to yourself. It's not easy. The wife is to take her cues from the church, those who place their trust in Christ for salvation. The wife's role is to respond to her husband by respecting him. And honoring him as the church should honor Christ. Together, the husband, the wife, the children are to be a trinity. They're to be a trinity. Just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who live in this eternal relationship of love and respect and holiness. Ideally, the family unit should be a mini trinity where grace and truth reign in perfect balance. You know what, folks? That's why prayer is so important. It's important in both our marriages and it's important in our family life. Husband, God calls you to take the lead. Step out to pray for your wife and to pray over your kids there isn't anything on planet Earth that binds us together on like prayer. <laughs> I was telling Jeff after the Thursday night prayer, all oh, the last two weeks have been heavenly. Taste of heaven on earth. Because why? Prayer binds you together. It was. It was a wonderful season. You could sense the presence and power of God there. Whoever you pray with, you're going to bond with them. Matthew 18, 19, the Bible says, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the middle of them. 
Do you want God to show up in your marriage? Start praying together. And we didn't do that much the first few years of marriage. But Sue and I, the last 30 plus years, have done this virtually every night. In fact, we try to make it the very last thing we do. I will take Sue's hand and pray over her and over our marriage and over our family. It's the best one-minute investment you can possibly make in your marriage. And it costs absolutely nothing. And it immediately gets the creator of the universe working in your marriage. If your spouse won't pray with you, ask if you can pray aloud for them and your marriage and your family. If they won't let you pray aloud, pray silently for them. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. Better yet, get involved in a Bible study together with your spouse. Go to church with your spouse. Look for good movies and shows to watch together. Your husband's a football fan. We got a few of those in church. Get a hold of the American underdog. I tell you, came out at Christmas time. Awesome movie. It's the Kurt Warner story from a grocery store stalker to NFL quarterback. Strong believer in Christ. Great movie. Ask God to knit your soul with your spouse so that your soul mates. After all, that's what God intended for marriage all along. Your spouse should be the number one person that you pursue God with. Now that brings us to the third foundation for a good marriage, which is the emotional bond. It is becoming confidants, the sharer of your secrets. In verse 23, Adam says of his newly created wife, he, he had laid eyes on her for the first time, and he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of the man. As I said in a previous message, the Hebrew word for this is zota, which is called a demonstrative pronoun. It's a word that is said with emphasis and excitement, and it is used three times in verse 23. What does that tell us? It says, Adam was very, very excited with this new creation that God had come up with. And Adam calls her woman, in the Hebrew, Isha, Adam calls himself Ish. I'm Ish, and this is my Isha, his companion, his partner, his mirror image, the one who complements him, the one who completes him, the one who fits perfectly. I think the best word that captures this is the word confidant which is defined as an intimate companion, the sharer of your secrets, the one to whom you bear your soul. When Adam says, she is bone of my bones, 
He's talking about much more than physical bones. You know, the arm bones and the neck bones and the leg bones and the collarbone, 200 plus bones in the human body. That very same word there for bones is used of Joseph's bones that were preserved in Egypt after he died. And those bones were carried back to Israel when Israel was led by Moses out of slavery back into the promised land. They carried Joseph's bones with them because it symbolized the very soul of God was returning to the promised land. Same is true of the word flesh. Yeah, it can mean skin on the body. But in the Bible, the meaning is much deeper than that. It represented her whole being. Sometimes when you read an obituary, they'll say she was the love of his life or he was the love of her life. Represents your whole being. There's a bond on many levels. When I was researching the word confidant, one of the synonyms that was given was the word consolera. Consolera. You ever heard of that word? I had to look it up. In Italian, the word consolera means an advisor, a counselor. In the Godfather movie, the consolera is the Godfather's right-hand man. Now, here's what's interesting. In the mafia family, crime families, the consolera is one of the few in the family that can argue with the boss. <laughs> in fact, it is considered to be his duty to argue and to challenge the boss. Why? To ensure that the Godfather's plans are foolproof. Did you think of this? Did you think of this? What about this? You see, on a flow chart, the consulera is considered equal in stature to the boss. Because in practice, they act as one. Their power, their prestige, their credibility, it will rise and it'll fall together. Their stars rise together, their stars fall together. You know what? A lot of husbands and wives forget that, don't they? Husbands, when you criticize, when you demean your own wife, you're torpedoing your own ship. That's right. You're torpedoing your own ship. Wives, same is true for you. Your star and your, the star of your husband, they rise and they fall together. I can't tell you how many times my wife has acted as a consulera, <laughs> talking me down from doing or saying something very foolish. It's especially important in raising kids and disciplining kids. When the kids would do something that irritated me, I'd want to bring the house down on them. Let's teach them a lesson. And Sue would talk me off the cliff. You know what I'm talking about? Ever had that happen? Once in a while, not as often, I would play the role of consulera and talk her down from doing something rash. In fact, there were many times we'd look at each other and we'd say, it's a good thing we don't both get upset at the same time. 
<laughs> kids would be in trouble. <laughs> you see, when you are dating, one of the things that you should be looking for in a partner is someone who can talk you off the cliff. When you're about to make a business decision, when you're about to make a major investment, a major purchase, when you're about to hire someone or fire someone, when you're about to take some significant action, you need a consulera that can talk straight to you. And that goes both ways. Sometimes the husband is the consulera. Sometimes the wife is the consulera. In either case, it's very important to hear them out, to weigh their counsel more heavily than any other counsel you receive. Why is that? Because you know that they love you. They, you know that they have your best interests at heart. You know that your star and their star falls and, and rises together. You need to listen before you leap. And that is the third foundation for a good marriage. The emotional bond where you become not only partners, but confidants at the deepest level. I close with this. The very first human institution created by God was marriage. And marriage, friends, it is no understatement to say, it is the cornerstone of human civilization. If marriage collapses in the United States of America, America is toast. There will be no coming back. We are toast. It's inevitable because marriage is the glue that holds our culture together. You will not have healthy people without healthy families. And you will not have healthy families without healthy marriages. And by the way, you will not have healthy marriages without a healthy, God-honoring view of sexuality. That's what we're going to look at next Sunday. Today, marriage in America is in a death spiral. 1962, 50% of all 21-year-olds were married. 50%. Today, it's 8%. One out of 12. 1962, 90% of 30-year-olds were married. 90%. You know what it is today? 50%. And it's dropping like a rock. And here's one more stunning statistic. In 1962, 5% of kids were born out of wedlock. One out of 20. You know what it is today? 40%. Two out of five. Does this take a toll on kids? You bet it does. And that's why it is so tragic that more and more adults, they're just chucking marriage altogether. But that doesn't need to be you. Here at Heartland Church, you know what? We are going to celebrate marriage. We are going to honor the family. At the same time that we are reaching out with compassion to those who have had marriage struggles and family struggles. Marriage is worth celebrating. 
The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. We have several joyous weddings that are being planned right now. Boy, do we have quite a few of them. <laughs> uh, they're going to be right here at Harlan. And we want to cheer on these young couples and their families and help them get off to a God-honoring start in your marriage life. We also want to honor families. The Bible says, Psalm 127.3, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Will you join us in celebrating marriages and honoring families? <laughs> 